Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of The Rambler. I am your host, Mike McDonald. Guess what? Today is John LeBrecht Day. Today is John LeBrecht Day. John is living down there in Washington, D.C., doing a lot of good work for USAID, USAID. In the uh, doing a lot of work specifically with HIV and AIDS worldwide, and he wants to branch out and do other things, which is awesome. So be sure to listen and check out this episode because it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. John's a good guy. He just came back from ICA, the Gathering 2016 in Korea. Like a lot of listeners out there, I hope you guys had a great time last uh, last two weeks. I guess uh, in Korea, I've been following you guys on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter, looking at all your pictures and posts and, uh, generally stalking you. I've just been, uh, stalking you because I need to live vicariously through you because I didn't go to go to Korea this year. Uh, I, I had no intentions of going to Korea. I didn't think I, I would, uh, I don't know. I, I went back in 2007 to that gathering, and that was good. But, you know, I, I, I have grown as a person a lot, and I feel like uh, maybe I wouldn't get as much out of it this time. But then later, after I saw everybody was going, I got a little sad that I didn't partake in the festivities and didn't uh, participate in this year's events. So uh, maybe next year. Maybe we'll see what happens next year. You know, if they end up going to Europe or something like that, uh, I would love to go to Europe again. Hemming to Europe in a minute. Anyways, today is the 21st of August, and uh, this episode is going out at the close of the Olympics. Yes, the Olympics are done uh, this week. The U.S. has basically dominated this year's Olympics. Uh, I'm very excited about that. I I loved watching everything from the gymnastics to the swimming team and uh, all the other sports. The track and field was incredible. It's just amazing. We did amazing this year, and I'm very happy about that. The rest of the world did amazing as well. I saw some great countries do some great things. The marathon today finished up. That was awesome. Uh, Good job to the winners of the marathon. The U.S. came in third, so we got the bronze medal. That was pretty sweet. Good event. Good event. Uh, what else? Uh, the, uh, last week, if you guys didn't know, I was uh, I was actually interviewed uh, for China's Children International. We did a live stream on Google Hangouts, and it's on YouTube. So you can go to YouTube.com. You know that website. It's a small website, but uh, they have a lot of videos there. And look up China's Children International, where I uh, had my interview with them, or they interviewed me, I should say. Uh, what else is going on? Uh, pretty soon, next year, it's back to school time. Back to school for all you kiddies going back to school. And for all you parents living in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, I guess, area, the tri-state area, you should check out also known as Youth and Teen Mentorship Programs. The deadline uh, has passed, but you know if you are still interested, then uh, send us a message. You can send us a message and check it out at alsoknownas.org. Uh, that's, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to get to more things later at the end of the show. And we'll talk a little bit about where you can find me next. All right. Until then, enjoy this episode of the Rambler. Let's get to my conversation with John Lebrecht. Jean Lebrecht. Enjoy. Enjoy. All right, John, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's really great to be here. I'm excited about it. Yes, as am I. Uh, so, do you, do you pronounce your name uh, John Labreck? John Labreck. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, lots of people get it uh, incorrect, and even my uh, undergrad school uh, mispronounced <laughs> it and misspelled it. So, how how did how is it most commonly mispronounced? 
uh, Lebrecq, you know, just people who aren't very familiar with mm. French or whatever. So, you know, I've asked a bunch of people uh, what it means in French, and it doesn't apparently mean anything. <laughs> so I'm like, mm, okay, whatever. Is it, is it, do you think that's like a maybe it's a mistranslation or something like that? <laughs> you know, it comes from my dad's side of the family, and uh-huh. I don't think he has a strong idea of what it means. So I'm just like, you know, it's a last name, I guess. So he's not like a first generation Frenchman that came no. Over. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> uh, so it's so your father's side of the family is French, then? Yeah, French Canadian. Oh, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. And my mom's side is a strong Irish Catholic. So, ah. but we hang out with my mom's side of the family a lot more. So that's where you know a lot of our traditions and just you know family sort of uh, you know processes and you know uh, events come from. Sure. Yeah. And you're out there in uh, Missouri, right? Matt, uh, currently I'm living in Washington D.C., but oh, really? uh, okay. yeah, <laughs> but my family is uh, from Massachusetts, and that's where all of them are up right now. Oh, right. Where did I get Missouri from? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I've never actually <laughs> been to Missouri. And, you know, it's all honest, not a place I have any intention of going to anytime soon. <laughs> that's all right. Well, so you, you were raised in Massachusetts then. Mm-hmm. Almost, yeah, basically my entire life ever since I was adopted, you know, it was mainly just, you know, in Springfield, Massachusetts and, you know, just uh, intermittent trips to uh, Boston every now and then. So okay. that was the majority of my world there. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking of like Springfield, Missouri. No, I mean, Springfield. I'm sure Springfield, Missouri is better than Springfield, Massachusetts. I don't know, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, all Springfield has is uh, the Basketball Hall of Fame, but you don't ever want to go there. So. Oh, really? So why not? It, it's a tourist trap. It's really just an unequivocally, unabashedly tourist trap. It has like all these stores and, you know, uh, restaurants, and it's just like there's no real sort of, you know, dignity to the game, you know, just. <laughs> It's really just all this interactive, you know, crap, and, uh, you know, it doesn't have a lot of exhibits in it, so it's like, you know, I've only gone there, like, once or twice ever since it opened, so. I don't think I've ever been there. I don't think I've ever been to Springfield, uh, Massachusetts. Don't worry about it, then, you know. (laughs) So you grew up in that area? What was it like growing up there, just not going to the Basketball Hall of Fame, I guess? Uh, It was interesting. So, um, you know, I grew up in West Springfield, which is uh, not as diverse as uh, Springfield, obviously. And, you know, I, uh, you know, was in really fairly small schools growing up. You know, my parents wanted me to go through Catholic education, basically, you know, up until high school or whatever. So that even further sort of stratified, you know, towards, you know, a lot of, you know, uh, white middle class people. And, you know, it was kind of uh, when it came down to it, it was just like me and my siblings were the only Asian people in the uh, entire school for, you know, all as long as I can remember. And Mm -hmm. it was normal. You know, it wasn't sort of it didn't make me feel incredibly different, except that, you know, times when you had like diversity days or whatever, where people, you know, bring in like a lot of Irish stuff, but I would bring in Korean (laughs) stuff that I knew nothing about. Did you guys have like, like diversity day at the, at the Catholic high school? I remember a couple of days, you know, where, um, it was like this, you know, sort of like social, uh, social studies project where people would bring in things about their families or whatever. And, you know, I decided, you know, do go to like an, or my mom went to like an Asian market and brought in like Korean candies and things like that. But I had no idea, you know, what they were at the time. (laughs) Well, it's good that you're, I mean, even though, you know, your, your mother is Irish Catholic and you're going to Mm -hmm. a Catholic high school with mostly white kids that she was, you know, trying to 
bringing something that wasn't necessarily her culture or upbringing, but helping mm. you out and kind of trying to expose you to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, in all honesty, I wish, you know, uh, that's cause like I mentor a couple of us, you know, younger adoptees now and you know, the level of Korean culture that they're exposed to is just like, you know, miles ahead of like what oh, I sure, was as yeah. a kid. Just like, you know, I wish I had gone to Korean cultural camp, you know, growing up and, you know, taking Korean languages and done Taekwondo and all those sorts of things. Just like, you know, I wouldn't expect to be fluent in Korean at this point, but it, like it would have been, you know, better from my perspective to like not have to play catch up as much as I feel like I have to in terms of like other adoptees who, you know, have, you know, better uh, cultural skills, better cultural knowledge, and, you know, definitely the language skills definitely helps out. So, you know, um, I mean, I, I feel like it was, you know, just due to my internal family dynamics, like, you know, three of my, you know, all three of my siblings are adopted from Korea as well. So it wasn't just like what I was feeling, it was what everybody had to feel at the same yeah, time. Or yeah. We had to reach family consensus. So, you know, if Korean, you know, we went to a couple of Korean camps, literally like once or twice. And it's like, if, you know, two people weren't having fun then you know that was you know the end of that with a family like that it was we are all doing it all the time together so things yeah, like yeah. that especially <laughs> so where do you where do you stack up in the order of siblings here uh i am the second oldest so my older sister or my oldest sister no, only sister um she lives back in massachusetts she's a speech pathologist okay. at a couple of nursing homes in my hometown she's married uh you know has her life you know really well well put together then it goes me you know down here in dc um and then my younger brother steven he's in law school um he's at he's doing law school in boston but he's doing an internship in new york city right oh, cool. now um, and then my youngest brother, David, he is a chef and he's working at a, um, a restaurant in our hometown as well. Oh, nice. So a pretty uh, different uh, group of people. Yeah, sounds like everybody's doing well, successful. Mm-hmm. I think so. Would you, so you uh, you guys went to Korean culture camp or something for like a, like a week or two and that was it? I only rem- remember literally one time when I was at Korean culture camp. Um, I remember the fact that we didn't like the food, um, you know, very, very well. And I remember the fact that, uh, and you know, I, I mean, I was a kid, so, uh, sure, yeah. instead of like doing the actual cultural activity, all I wanted to do was like play with like a toy truck or something like that. So well, how like, old were you like six, seven? Maybe five, you know, oh, yeah. maybe five or six or whatever. So I, uh, you know, uh, in re- retrospect, you know, maybe you should have done more, but you know, you're a kid, so yeah, whatever. Exactly. I mean, I, you know, I, I, it doesn't matter. I think if that's a culture camp or I, you know, I, I think my parents brought me to soccer when I was around that age. Yes. And I was more, uh, interested in playing with my toy dinosaurs than kicking yeah. the ball. Around. <laughs> 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 uh, any friends of mine, close friends of mine will say, yeah, that's, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, what about your other siblings and everything? Were they kind of into it too? Were they not really? So, my oldest sister and my brother Stephen, uh, they're not very sort of you know interested in Korea. Like, um, they're very you know sort of you know just with their in their lives. You know, yeah, like sure. they have very very little desire, and they express it pretty you know um, explicitly that they just don't care about you know Korean culture and everything mm-hmm. like that. And you know that sort of dominated you know um, the family dynamic for quite some time um and my youngest brother david i feel like he has some sort of you know uh he's going to probably do some more stuff once he just like gets out of west springfield and has a bit more opportunity to explore 
more diversity and has those sorts of, you know, accessible opportunities to him as well. Sure. So when did you kind of break off from your older sister and start getting interested, interested in this kind of stuff? Um, I always felt like, you know, um, I had my Korean sort of identity or ethnic, uh, identity was always tied very tied closely to like my sense of individuality just because to be Korean was to be different, you know? And so, you know, my entire life, that was sort of like my outlet for my individuality or whatever. And, but I never really understood what Korea was as a culture or as like a society or anything like that. It was Mm -hmm. just a big unknown. And it was only until like I, you know, uh, went to graduate school in Boston or whatever that I really felt like I had the opportunity and was really in a place that I, you know, felt comfortable and safe, you know, um, exploring Korean things. You know, like that was when I first, you know, outreach to the boss bka boston korean adoptees and yep. started learning about korean culture took korean classes some taekwondo and everything like that and it was like you know um you know i went to a college at a very very not diverse place so it just wasn't you know a good environment mm-hmm. to really explore any really any sort of you know uh, diversity and you know being in boston was a really great opportunity for me it really you know gave me so many sort of you know cultural assets and resources that i could really develop and you know just you know um really articulate a lot better about what they meant to myself and i really really did enjoy it you know like i mean i had probably never really understood eating Korean food, you know, before going to Boston or whatever. And it was like, you know, I've enjoyed it ever since, you know, like learning the language, learning about the culture. It's been very, very fascinating for me. And I've just enjoyed everything that I've, you know, come into contact with thus far. Yeah, that's awesome. So where did you do your your, uh, undergrad at? Um, you know, to name names, it's a Providence College or whatever. You know, it's like uh, when Princeton Review used to do the rankings, it was the least diverse school. And then, like, <laughs> year after year, oh, you know, no. it was number one. Yeah. Well, I mean, why did you choose Providence College? It was the only school I got into. You okay. know, like, I had my heart set on a polar opposite school. You know, like, at that point, I yeah. wanted to be a journalist. So I was said, I'm going to go to Emerson College. You know, it was oh, yeah. downtown Boston, you know, sure. super diverse, super progressive. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be great but then i didn't get into emerson and providence college mm. accepted me you know uh early decision or whatever so i'm sure. like okay whatever you well, know um, i'll take what i can get <laughs> yeah yeah but uh you know in in the end you know i wouldn't be here if i hadn't gone to providence and you know it did you know it made me miserable for two years but uh you know the the last two years i feel like i really did develop a lot more sort of individuality and you know identity um that i otherwise may not have done so 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 what brought that about? Do you think in the what where, where was the turn in the in the end of the second year? Um, you know, it was sort of you know just trying to be comfortable with myself. You know, mm-hmm. not trying to you know um, be with people. Like learning how to be by myself and be comfortable with that because you know Providence College. It's a very very sort of you know if you're not like you know. Irish Catholic and, you know, sort of very, very jockey or whatever, you know, sportish or whatever. It's difficult to make friends there, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and and if you don't drink as well, you know, like that's very, very difficult. Um, And so, you know, towards the end of my second year, I, you know, uh, started to just learn more about Providence, the city and the community that was outside the gates and Mm -hmm. learn, you know, access a lot of diversity through that means or whatever. And I learned like Providence is an incredibly diverse place and it sort of like taught me my you know 
sort of take a narrative within this overall context or whatever. And it just, you know, it really taught me how to be comfortable, like with people who are incredibly different from me. Like these are people, you know, like I was, you know, shooting basketball hoops with, you know, like gang affiliated youth on Mondays or whatever. And it was like, these are people whose life's experience I really can't relate to, but here I am trying to, you know, form a relationship with them. And it's like, you know, how can I do that? You know, I have to be very confident and very sort of, you know, articulate and careful about how I sort of communicate myself to them mm-hmm. or whatever. Otherwise it's not going to work. So that just, you know, they indirectly really helped me develop. And then, you know, like I studied abroad in England for a year and that, you know, you're, you know, you're, that's a really nice. sort of like learning experience. And sure. then, you know, you know, taught me a lot how to just be away from home for long periods of time, you know, be in different countries really. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, combining all those sorts of experiences together, it really set me on the path that I am uh, nowadays, right now. So when you were playing uh, basketball with these kids, is that through like a mentorship program or did you just decide I'm going to go play hoops with these kids? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It was through, you know, um, this, uh, not, um, this social service agency. Uh-huh. Um, and my professor, he's on, he was on the board of it. Oh, so, okay. you know, he ran this sort of, you know, recreation night where they, you know, rented out a, uh, elementary school gym. They got pizza and like a bunch of board games and things like that. And just invited, you know, like all these, you know, kids and, you know, not kids, um, to, the you know uh to the night or to that event and just you know the idea was just to like get people to interact with one another who otherwise wouldn't be doing so in a safe and uh supportive environment i feel like so it was you know i really liked this professor so that's why i showed up awesome which class was that for that was for introduction to service in a democratic society so um it was you know um I was an English literature major um, mm-hmm. in Providence College, and that was that's what my degree says. But um, you know, it was sort of within that sort of you know spectrum or context that I really thought about like, do I really want to do English literature? Because you know, well, what do you do with an English a BA in English? You either <laughs> like you know you yeah. go on to get your PhD in English, or you go to law school or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I'm not sure whether I wanted, you know, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to do anything like that. So I decided to like start spreading out and, you know, really, um, really codifying what I actually did enjoy because I, you know, did, I did not enjoy like, you know, writing, uh, you know, for a newspaper or things like that, or like a magazine at PC or whatever. It's those weren't, that was, just more schoolwork or whatever. But I, you know, ever since, you know, high school, really, it was like, I really, really did enjoy, you know, um, volunteering, you know, it wasn't this sort of just like vain sort of, you know, um, just, you know, it's going to make me feel good. It's something that I really, at that point began to develop and think more about as a career and, you know, sort of think about it more sort of structured in that sort of sense. So, you know, all this sort of came together in the sense, like, it's like I had no idea what worker was. I had no idea what public health, anything like that. And, you know, just kept developing and developing. And I just kept learning more and more and, you know, really, you know, growing um, professionally and academically. And really, I feel like, you know, I'm happy that my career really does reflect my values. Like, I feel like that's a privilege that not a lot of people have. Mm-hmm. So I do feel like, you know, what happened, you know, mm-hmm. back um it, it was called Rec Night. Back in Rec Night, really did does inform like you know what I do now and you know what I how I think about my work now. Yeah, well, it certainly sounds like it. It was an opportunity for personal growth for mm-hmm. you, and it sounds like it's you know that night in particular was uh, pretty life impacting. Yeah, like um, I mean, the way that it worked out was you know I just tried to 
stay off of campus for as long as possible. Like, um, you know, it, it wasn't just rec night. It was like rec night on Monday. Then I went to a soup kitchen city meal on Tuesday. Um, and that was, you know, a soup kitchen that had just recently re-begun. Like it was dormant for a number of years. And then mm. these people, these, you know, couple of men, dozen or men, dozen men or so who were themselves homeless decided to restart it. And it was, you know, just an awesome, awesome sort of, you know, culture around that, you know, um, a soup kitchen or whatever. And, you know, it was very, very just relaxed and, you know, very, very communal and congenial and everything like that. So I did enjoy that. And then on Thursdays, I went to another soup kitchen, um, St. Charles. And this one was much, much more structured, but it was still just had this, you know, you just, you know, sort of really, really were aware of the sense of community and the strength of the relationships around you or whatever. You just had people who were been there for 10, 15, 20 years. And it was just like they, you know, it was like they knew each other. They were very, very close with one another. You felt the power of those relationships. And it was just such a happy place to be or whatever. It's like, why wouldn't you want to do more of this? Like, it's just, it just makes you so happy to be there or whatever. So, you know, combining all those sorts of experiences together, it's just like, you know, it's like, you know, I really wanted to develop this and see where it would take me in my career and, you know, later on in life as well. Well, so where did it, where did it take you? So, um, you know, towards that, you know, like, uh, the sophomore year was when I started to explore that, you know, started to volunteer more. And then junior year I was, you know, abroad just studying more English literature and philosophy. So it was a very academic environment. And that's where it really sort of, you know, hammered down on me. It's like, I don't want to go into law school. I don't want to do a PhD in English or anything like that. So, um, what I did was, you know, after, you know, a week or two of like freaking out and, you know, just like emailing back frantically with my advisor, it's like, I found this program called public and community service studies. And it's like a very, very sort of like innovative program, especially when you consider Providence College being so sort of conservative. And, you know, it's like community organizing with program design and management mixed in. So it really was just so, you know, we had community activists, community members come in and teach classes with us or whatever. It was like, it was just absolutely phenomenal and mind boggling, just like, you know, what they sort of taught you and the experiences that they brought into the classroom and outside the classroom, whatever, like everybody had to like work at, you know, various organizations all around Providence. And so, you know, um, after that, it was only like one year that I was able to do that program. So, uh, I was only barely able to like minor in it. And so I thought to myself, well, I don't really know a lot about this, um, you know, social service field yet to really get a job. So I, you know, went to grad school at BU for their MSW program. And, um, you know, that's where I really, you know, especially the second year that I was at, you know, the school of social work there, that's where I really felt like I was learning how to do community organizing very, very well. Like, um, you know, I was in basically like a neighborhood in Boston, like East Boston. And it was like, here's a neighborhood, like it's your job to like try and make this neighborhood healthier or whatever. And it was a, an incredible amount of responsibility. And I felt like social work is just an e- such an egalitarian field. It's like, you know, people really listened to you. You know, you had a lot of sort of just like standing in power amongst your colleagues or whatever, and you really felt it. So I really did enjoy that. Um, And, you know, I've always had the desire, you know, even before, um, you know, doing all of this was 
to not only travel, but to like, you know, do something in foreign assistance. You know, that would spend something mm-hmm. that's been very important to me. So, you know, talking with, you know, my professors at the School of Social Work, they're like, well, you know, an MPH, a Master's of Public Health degree would be very, very, you know, competitive for you to do, you know, very, very marketable. So, you know, it just turned out just by chance, really by chance, like BU had a really well-coordinated dual degree program, you know, with MSW and MPH. So okay. I, I tacked on a year, you know, for an extra master's degree and I um, majored in global health over at the School of Public Health. Wow. And so um, after my MSW MPH, you know, it was uh, seven months until I got offered my current job at uh, USAID. So I currently work in uh, the Office of HIV AIDS at uh, USAID. Wow. So you're, you're like, I mean, that's pretty awesome that you have, it, it sounds like you went from a very insular uh, upbringing. <laughs> Irish Catholic, <laughs> yeah. very like family oriented, and that was kind of it. Like, uh, I don't want to say you're like in a shell or anything like that, but it seems like you're you're a little bit more introverted. And then towards the middle of college in your undergrad year, you had this amazing turn of life, and now it's like all you want to do is kind of give to the world. Yeah, like um, I mean, it, it's something that's you know been very sort of you know interesting to me like you know my grandparents don't understand what i do you know like i have to tell them like what you see you know the unicef commercials you see on television as culturally inappropriate as they are like that's kind of what i do and that's mm-hmm. how i explain it to them or whatever you know like um that's you know because like when you think about it like how many how many global health practitioners do you know or whatever it's like yeah, it's a yeah. very very sort of like niche sort of field and you know it's something that i feel is very very important it's like you know um just value wise it's like you know there are 700 million people in the world who don't have access to clean drinking water and it's like every time mm-hmm. i turn on the faucet it's like that just goes through my mind and i i don't know it's like maybe i'm just wired that way where you just have these like triggers where it triggers this date this facet of data and then you sort of like begin to internalize and universalize and it's like wait you know like this is a huge injustice and it's like this is happening for me it should happen for everybody or whatever it's water you you need it to live or whatever so when you start thinking more and more about that and just like how much you know violence and just how much you know human rights abuses are there are around the world it's like you know um it's something i feel you know, incredibly passionate about it's like you know these are things that I'll I'll probably pursue you know forever really when it comes down to it like HIV AIDS probably isn't my forte when it comes down to it I'll probably move into foreign disaster assistance you mm. know that's what I'm uh, trying trying to uh, do right now just through informational interviewing and things like that but uh, that's where I you know feel like I'm. I'd be much, much more useful, you know, like, uh, you know, there are times in my job where, you know, I just look at budgets and, you know, contracts all day long. (laughs) You know, I feel like I, you know, you walk out of the door one day and you feel like you work at like Goldman Sachs or like Deloitte or something like that. And it's just like, it's draining, you know, like, uh, I I just want to be, you know, much, much more sort of closer to the people whom I'm serving, you know, and just be in a better opportunity and, uh, uh, better sort of, you know, context to develop meaningful relationships sure. with them that we can use, you know, that are helping relationships as well. Yeah. I mean, nothing against Goldman Sachs or anything, but I don't <laughs> think uh, public health or clean drinking water is one of their uh, yes. prime things that they're worried about as an organization. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, no, it sounds amazing. I, I've actually uh, worked a little bit, had some exposure to USAID uh, when I lived in Indonesia. Oh. Obviously that's a 
developing country with a lot of natural disasters <laughs> and, and plenty of health problems over there. I mean, I came back from uh, Indonesia with exposure to tuberculosis, so that was a lot of fun. <laughs> Did you actually get TB? Uh, not confirmed, but they said I was exposed to it, so I was. I ended up on the the, uh, the drug to treat TB for six months, which was a lot oh, of fun. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that, was, that was a good time. Uh, but either way, I mean, you know, it's obviously very important work, and uh, you know, the HIV-AIDS thing, I mean, regardless of whether uh, you're passionate about it or not, is a, a very important issue that I'm glad the, the government is trying to tackle yeah uh, you know a lot i'm not sure how many people uh that i have listening that are familiar with usaid um can you give a little bit of background about uh that organization oh sure so uh usaid it really has its foundations in like the marshall plan you know the develop the huge development plan that happened after world war ii where the united states infused you know billions and billions of dollars into post-war europe to really rebuild it mm-hmm. and it was a you know it was a, a huge success you know like it really did kickstart and jumpstart like you know germany france you know england all these sorts of war-torn economies really really yeah. got them you know um, developing very very quickly as well and so the idea was, you know, we've done this in Europe, so the next thing to do is do it in Africa, because as, you know, developed as Europe is, Africa is probably even more resource rich, you know, lots of very, very valuable resources that you need for, you know, high developing, high functioning economies actually Mm -hmm. come from Africa. And so, you know, USAID sort of, you know, grew out of that, you know, there was one development act after another act after another act. And then finally in the 1960s, you know, John F. Kennedy, he finally like incorporated USAID as a formal agency that was just going to go on in perpetuity for, you know, to organize uh, U.S. foreign uh, assistance, you know, globally mm-hmm. or whatever. So um, USAID, you know, all the development, you know, um, that the United States government does, all that money is funneled through USAID. So um, just not health, you know, like democracy and governance, foreign mm-hmm. disaster assistance, education, agriculture, power, you know, young leadership, you know, young African leadership initiative, YALI, all these sorts of things are just funneled into USAID. And it's not at all geared towards, you know, just Africa or whatever, even though that's where like the, you mm-hmm. know, majority of our portfolio lies. It's, you know, a lot in, you know, um, the Latin America uh, some in Eastern Europe, Central Asian republics, and you know Southeast Asia, like you know all over the world, like USAID is incredibly super- superfluous when it comes to foreign disaster. So mm-hmm. I feel like you know it's really you know, I'm in a really good place. Like I'm at the center of the center when it comes down to it. So I'm really really excited to you know see where my career will take me in the next five years. I was you know really you know flabbergasted when I got this offered this job because. You know, um, seven months, you know, to go without a job after grad school, that's a tough time. And it was like, you know, I was running out of money just like just by living or whatever. So I had to like get a job at Bed Bath and Beyond. And I'm like, you know, here I am with like two masters. (laughs) Yeah. You know, looking at all my other friends, you know, get jobs, have lives, you know, you know, get up, get started or whatever. And it's like, here I am. It's you know, eight in the morning being yelled at by an old lady over K cups. It was just like, you know, yeah, like, it's little, it's I, I, right? I paid for the, you know, I paid for this job. Like, you know, I, I, I feel like I definitely just karmically, you know, earned it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I mean, 
it's not as easy as everybody makes it sound. I mean, you'll hear from all kinds of people like, oh, why don't these people just get jobs or whatever? It's mm. like, uh, <laughs> yeah. you can be highly educated with two master's degrees and still mm. work at Bed Bath and Beyond yeah. and not be able I to mean, really support yourself. Yeah, it was good experience just because, you know, even now when I'm like having, you know, a bad day or having a problem with something, it's like 18 months ago, this is a problem I was looking forward to having. So it was an incredibly sort yeah. of humbling experience in that sort of regard. Sure. I mean, you can always look back and say, I was like, well, it could be uh, stocking shelves at Bed Bath & Beyond right now. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, definitely, I would say, definitely a step up. So mm-hmm. did you did you just move down to D.C. recently? So are you all moved in? You know, yeah, I've been uh, in D.C. for 18 months. So I was living out in Arlington for um, up until like two weeks ago. And now okay. I'm actually in the district per se. So it's going to be a bit of a difference or whatever. You know, like Arlington is just much more spread out and D.C. is much, much more condensed and a lot more people. So yes. we'll see how I like it. <laughs> it's a good city, though. I mean, like just like, you know, Boston, D.C. is like a real city. They have a metro. They have a bike share. There, a lot of history there. A metro that that catches on fire like twice a week. Like that's not even a joke. Like, uh, you know, well, you like know. somebody did stuff. <laughs> it happens. It happens. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I, w- 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 how does that catch on fire? Like, is people just throwing trash on the tracks or something? I, apparently, they just don't maintain it or whatever. So you oh, know, God. because it's you know such high voltages and it gets really really hot in the tunnels yeah. and there's so much friction. You know, like. A section of track has just like caught on fire almost every week or Jeez. whatever, and they had to like you know shut down parts of the metro, just completely shut them down yeah, you know, yeah. for days in order to like just get it to a normal operating sort of function. So, so welcome. maybe use the maybe use the bike share. <laughs> yeah, except when it's not like a hundred billion degrees out like it is. It's today. pretty. It's pretty rough out lately. I'm yeah. not gonna lie. It's mm. yeah. Even here, I think yesterday was like. 96 or something like that and it's like you get in the car you know i have a black car it's over 100 easily if i leave it in the sun (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah so how how are you liking dc life it's interesting um you know i feel like everybody my age or like around our age is like much much more professional so that really does reflect on like you know the friends you're going to meet you know the places you're going to go mm-hmm. and what you're going to be doing or whatever you know like not only like dc is just architecturally a very very sort of you know weird city in the sense like you know it has a just ginormous monument in the middle of it that you have to go around yes. to do stuff <laughs> you know like and that just adds you know minutes and minutes to your commute whereas like in boston everything's like more or less like very very concentrated like yeah. in boston but as opposed to dc you know you have your koreatown Annandale that's you know a 20 minute drive away in you know northern Virginia and that's just that was very very disorienting for me you know for a very long time it's like you know I've never wanted a car more than I lived you know in DC or whatever you know, in Boston you have no need for a car it's everything's just in Boston you're brought in for anything it's just you stay in Boston whereas in DC you're, you go out in the suburbs much much more often yeah definitely I mean I was there a couple of weeks ago and like people were coming from all over uh you know, uh, the Wendy Marie, I don't know if you know her, she lives out in the yeah. middle of Maryland. Mm. <laughs> it was like to do the interview and everything to have dinner. It was like, she had to travel like 45 minutes basically. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> I was like, and we were in DC proper. I was like, or yeah, we we're just a little bit North of Georgetown. Mm. Was, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you traveled 45 minutes to get here. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I was like, I guess that's just the way it is. It's like, everything is a little bit more spread out in the DMV area. Yeah. I think so usual. as well. Mm. So are you involved at all with uh, ALDC? 
I am, yes. Like, that's probably where most of my friends come from in D.C. Uh, it's just a natural sort of group of friends to have. So, you know, lots of things to do. It's nice just to, like, have that sort of thing penciled into your calendar every single month. We're going to be doing something together. Yeah. So how did you get involved with them? Did you just, uh, was it a natural f- since coming from BK, just my Yeah, like, you know, in D.C. I didn't know that many people. It's a natural sort of, you know, network to rely upon. Yeah, yeah. So are you involved at all on, like, their board or anything like that, or are you just well, an active member? I think I'm just an active member or whatever. I mean, D.C. is just such a transient so you don't get long-term commitment from really anybody but uh you know oh do connect a kid as well down here so i really do enjoy that oh yeah okay so you're good friends with uh spencer stevens then oh yeah i know spencer mm-hmm. yep yeah he's like friends with every adoptee out there, yeah basically mm-hmm. although he's thinking about moving to minnesota apparently i know yeah <laughs> so yeah i guess uh, yeah dc it seems like people kind of there are only a couple of mainstays, and everybody else kind of comes and goes, it seems like. Yeah, I think so. That's just, you know, the overall narrative for D.C. when it comes down to it. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, it's the natural state of the area, I guess. <laughs> well, do you plan on staying down in D.C.? Uh, you know, that's a million, bajillion dollar question or whatever, you know, like... Um, I feel like, uh, you know, being away from family is difficult or whatever, and I do miss, you know, just being able to, like, take a quick two-hour uh, bus ride back to, you know, Springfield from Boston. Um, and, you know, I feel like I definitely enjoyed my work in Boston a lot more than what I'm doing now, you know, because like, you know, the program was in front of you or, you know, like you could see the program unfolding right before your eyes mm-hmm. or whatever you would like work on all these models and matrices during the day. And then later that evening you were doing it, you know, you were implementing, you were both the planner and the implementer. Whereas in DC, you know, just, you know, it's just ginormous bureaucracy, you know, you know, yes, <laughs> normally wherever you're going to work or whatever. So, you know, um, I'm, you know, you're 20 levels removed from, you know, whom you're serving. So that's been a professional challenge for me. And so, you know, there is the temptation and it's a big temptation to, you know, um, go back to community health. That would mean, you know, it, it's, it's a big decision that I just don't think I have enough information to make right now. So I think, you know, the answer to that question is to be determined, really. Well, I mean, you could always, uh, it's not a good thing, but there are plenty of homeless people and communities in need in D.C. proper as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could always, you know, be like USAID by day and then community helper uh, at night. Yeah, no, like the community Batman. <laughs> no, I volunteer at a homeless shelter and it's oh, like, yeah? I need to do it because like that gives me the face-to-face interaction with the clients that I just absolutely miss or whatever and like this is something that just rejuvenates me so it's like you know not every friday night but almost every friday night i'm you know there you know volunteering at the front desk so it's something i just absolutely need that's awesome well do you have any plans uh, of traveling abroad with usa to africa or anywhere else yeah, so I've been to a U.S. Or I've been to Africa twice now and traveled twice for work. Um, once was um, two and a half weeks to Nigeria. We were talking about family planning and just designing a new sort of program for that. And then uh, I spent a month in Cameroon in the capital Yaoundé. Wow. Um, I was helping out um, the HIV team 
doing their annual operating plan, basically. So that was it, it definitely interesting. And, you know, both were really, really uh, worthwhile. Like in, in Abuja, Nigeria, like most people spoke English. So it wasn't really, you know, a, you know, a problem. Your know, language wasn't an issue. Whereas in Yaoundé, like everybody spoke French. Very, very few people spoke English or whatever. And like they knew this. They knew that I did not speak French when I filled out like this questionnaire. It's like, can you go to Cameroon? I'm like, I don't speak French, but. Well, your name okay. is Le Brick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's maybe why they thought it. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, French is definitely a language. You know, I is uh, that's on my to do list. I'll probably need to learn how to speak that sooner or later. Yeah, I think uh, in Africa, that and like Italian weirdly helps. In uh, Portuguese, parts. yeah. Or Portuguese, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very well. The whole like colonization history of that is very interesting. The way the like languages and culture kind of infused mm-hmm. itself into the Gold Coast and elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Do you have any plans of uh, doing a mission over there, a USAID mission, and being kind of I guess, I don't know stationed or whatever? In, in it's a- the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, well, if I were to continue on in global health, like I definitely you know want to become a direct hire, which is like the gold standard for everybody you know young professional in my sort of perspective or mm-hmm. position or whatever and you know i definitely um you know i'm not sure whether africa necessarily piques my interest per se i think it must much more be afghanistan pakistan or oh, like Iraq. Wow. you know like i'd rather There's do those serious areas things. man well you know um you, you say that but like you know the embassy is like the safest place to be in iraq and afghanistan because it's like this ginormous sort of fortification that you just can't leave yeah, or whatever and like you know you have like Thirty thousand troops protecting you, so it's yeah. a pretty safe place to be. At the end of the day, and you know, like um, I find, you know, conflict, you know, or post-conflict sort of resolution and development, and you know, internally displaced peoples and refugees, just absolutely sort of fascinating. And that's mm-hmm. where you know I resonate towards more, much, much more. And like that's where they are. So maybe like doing, you know, maybe or maybe even a stint in like Jordan or like Turkey or something like that, that'd probably be more my interest, you know, but I, you know, everybody passes through Africa and I've already done it. And, you know, it's something that I'm probably going to be going back to Africa. So, you know, it's something that's just always going to be, you know, there and I'm going to be like going back and to and from because so much development does take place in Africa. It's hard to avoid it. That's true. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, Iraq and Afghanistan, those are, it's, it just seems so very serious and, you know, they're very uh, unstable places right now. I mean, I don't know what the uh, USAID life is there right now. You know, I have no idea. I heard, so I have heard about the Pakistan, uh, the embassy in Pakistan is that from friends who used to work in USAID and uh, other parts of the embassy that like, it's a very close knit society like mm-hmm. within the embassy out there and i imagine it's the same in like iraq and afghanistan yeah too, because you because live with the people you work with and there's nothing else to do or anywhere else to go so yeah. it's like uh, you, you just hang out with each other <laughs> yeah i mean what's in well what's nice is like you know you make a lot more a lot of extra money oh, in true. those sorts of you know uh, places because you get danger danger pay hardship pay and then you don't pay for rent or any living expenses because you have you live in like a dormitory exactly or whatever so you know it makes sense in that sort of regard as well I heard the uh, the parties are pretty good too. Yeah, probably. <laughs> nothing else to do. I can't imagine. Yeah, you no, know. there's nothing else to do. I imagine it's just like what what are we gonna do tonight? I don't know. Same thing we do every night: just watch mm. TV and <laughs> hang out, mm. get ready for tomorrow's work. <laughs> yeah, I'll say this is like the productivity is through the roof just because yeah, there's sometimes just nothing else to do. Stay at yeah. work. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, that's even how it was in, like, you know, Africa, because you lose your entire social network circle and network. So, you know, you do your job in Africa and then you come back to the hotel and you do your job back in Washington or whatever, <laughs> because, there's, you know, there's nothing really good on TV to watch or whatever. So you just, you know, do some work because, you know, it's just going to be lying there for you when you get back to the office. So, like, why not get a head start on it or whatever? That is true. So- <laughs> Well, do you have any uh, – so let's go back to the adoption stuff a little bit. Yeah. Is it, I mean, not that these stories aren't amazing. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> awesome. I mean, do you have any good stories from Africa that you want to share? Um, well, not – well, you know, I wasn't – I've never been bribed or anything like that. But I did get taken advantage of for only $5 or whatever. <laughs> like on the airport out of Abuja, you know, like I'm in the line and I clearly don't know what I'm doing because airports in Africa are just like more or less shacks, especially late at yeah, night. Yeah. Most of the flights leave. And so I'm like, you know, just wandering around. And then these three guys come up, approach me and they like take my passport and my customs form. So I'm like, oh, crap, did I am I being arrested or whatever? And then they just take me off to the side and then they start filling out everything for me. So I'm like, oh, OK, you know, whatever. And then they're like, pay me. And at this point, I only had like five dollars of local currency left. So I take the, take it out. I show them my wallet, and they're clearly not pleased about it. But I just <laughs> have to give it to them. I'm like, okay, you know, I was planning on bringing this money back to my parents, but you know, you can have it instead. So, oh well, whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, if that's the worst thing that happened to you, I mean, not not too much to complain about there. I guess I don't think so. No, worse has happened to other people. So you know, yeah, especially in Africa. <laughs> Yep. Mm. There are way worse things going on there than than uh, getting taken for five dollars. I think. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, so the adoption stuff. I mean, like, the, when did you start getting uh, interested in more of the Korean side of things? Um, probably uh, during grad school. You know, like um, that was when I just like knew more Korean people or whatever. Yeah, and like yeah. BU has you know large Korean sort of you know um, population mm-hmm. and you know lots of Korean classes and cultural activities. And yep. Boston itself is just a huge sort of you know cultural repository for things. So you know you go to the Museum of Fine Arts and you look at the Korean culture and they had like Korean special exhibits or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that was just really really you know. Um, invigorating for me and it really sort of you know into like crystallize and concrete you know what Korea was whatever so you know I was lucky enough to like go back to Korea now it was three years ago like um I got a job teaching for about a month through like debate connections I had or whatever so um you know I didn't do anything adoption related while I was in Korea and I don't think I regret that you know it was like sure. you know I don't want to put too much emotional you know, you know stuff on my plate or whatever let's just go to Korea and see how I feel of it as a, as just like a culture or whatever and you know I really did enjoy it it's a really you know just fantastic place to be you know it was just a really really fun place to be um, mm-hmm. Seoul's a just phenomenal sort of city yeah. or whatever and like the kids were fun to talk with and everything like that so I definitely had a very very positive um, experience in Korea three years ago how old were the kids um, they were anywhere from 10 years old to 17. So okay. what I was told, like these kids are on the top 1% of wealth in Korea because like 
Oh, yeah. Was it like a private school? Yeah, their parents are selling out $10,000 for them to attend a two-week debate camp. So I'm like, okay. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So these are like, you know, probably like VPs of like Samsung and LG or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. And like the whole sort of, you know, sell behind it was like these were two Harvard, you know, debaters who formed this education company in Korea. And, you know, the marketing ploy was, you know, we have these highly successful Ivy League educated debaters, Mm -hmm. you know, coming to teach our kids debate for you know two weeks so that's why we're charging the price we charge so wow yeah that's awesome so what kind of what opened you up what was like the first thing that opened you up was it that museum exhibit to uh korea like what Uh, that's a good question um you know i don't think it was any sort of singular sort of event that opened me up i think it just started you know to develop and develop and become bigger and bigger in my life like you know um you know you obviously know that you're korean you obviously know that you're adopted from korea you know throughout your entire life and then it's just like this snippet here this piece of information there you you know you just you know uh stay alert for that you know you really take that to heart and you try and remember different things about it and you learn as much as you can you know as many opportunities as you as you have and you know being in Boston just gave me sort of a deluge of information or whatever. It really, you know, was my opportunity to explore rather than just to receive or whatever and be much, much more proactive in the sense like how I began to develop my Korean identity. Yeah. So you said you took Taekwondo. I mean, it, Boston, I think there's maybe two or three Korean restaurants you can go to. I think there's more than that. Like, uh, you know, Alston has a, it, Alston is our little Korea. So okay. yeah, it, it has a pretty, well, decent spread, at least. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I'm always curious, like, how did you get involved with uh, BKA? Did, like, I always want to know how people, like, mm. hear about these programs because I feel like relative to the amount of Korean adoptees or adoptees in general out in the world, you know, these groups are relatively small in population <laughs> yeah. and activity. Mm-hmm. So, if you, I mean, just Korean adoptees, let's say mm. there's 200,000 out there. And, I mean, there's, there are pockets. I mean, AKA in New York is pretty huge. Uh, you know, and BKA is a big program too. ALDC is a big program, but big in relative numbers. I mean, there's how many active members in ALDC or BKA do you think there are? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I think the, you know, my story is how I got uh, started was I always suspected that there were like these adult adopt group, adoptee groups around the world or whatever, uh-huh. but I never knew their name or how to reach them. So one day I just, you know, had some, well, I just made it my sort of mission to like, Go. I went to the Korean consulate in Boston and asked them for information, and they gave me a sheet with BKA, you know, on it. And then I just emailed, you know, who was a president at that time. And you know, maybe two weeks later, I was attending a dinner with them. So <laughs> that's all. So like, I, I didn't even know the consulate would have that kind of information. Yeah, I just went on a whim or whatever, you know, yeah. like I thought maybe they'd have something or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And thankfully they did. So, um, you know, I was really, really happy about that, but not necessarily so surprised. So it's yeah. good that they had that resource just there and understood my request really, really easily. So no, and to have like a, a consulate in your city. I mean, I don't know if there's Korean yeah. consulates spread out all over the United States. Mm. Yeah. With the population and the amount of Korean students that Boston has, you know, consulates pretty uh, useful. Yeah. No kidding. So, I mean, that's awesome opportunity. And obviously the dinner went well cause you were, you stayed involved. Mm-hmm. Oh who yeah. Did, who did you meet there? Oh yeah. Like to name names, I met Tony Kova, um, Nate Kupel, um, Merrick Sastroff, Sarah O'Neill, you know, Nick Nadeau, like a bunch of people, you know, just really, really involved. And, you know, it was 
sort of like the first opportunity that I had to like talk about adoption in a safe space amongst other adoptees who just mm-hmm. like instantly like gravitated towards like, you know, our shared experiences or whatever. Yeah. And it was, you know, very, very sort of just almost refreshing to be able to speak about like our racial experiences and identities in ways that, you know, you don't really talk about with your parents or, you know, with other people because it's very difficult for them to understand. And, you know, just for myriad of different other reasons, we all, you know, like it was nice to have that connection or whatever, and just to be able to converse very, very freely about our shared experiences and to understand like, you know, the importance of them, like, you know, uh, not everybody understands like why your last name is your last name, but you know, all <laughs> yeah. adoptees instantly get that, and that's you know something that's really, really understood and internalized amongst the communities here. So I definitely did enjoy you know the um, you know the meetings, the dinners, and you know the events that I went to with BKA and here down here in ALDC as well. Sure. What other kind of events did you uh, do up there with them? Because I know now they're putting on the like language programs or cooking classes and stuff like mm, that. Yeah. Uh, probably the highlight was, you know, we had some Korean uh, American authors come in and you were able to like ask them really good questions. Like, you know, it was only like five of us in the room and like, they're really, you know, New York times bestselling author, or at least I think they were or whatever. Um, and it was really awesome to like have that, you know, like I, I was able to, um, you know, help out with their fundraising oppor- uh, efforts for their, um, 20th anniversary or something like that Mm -hmm. so that was a lot of fun and you know just being able to like you know basically just grow from them you know like the more they told me about themselves the more I discovered about myself you know because I knew that our stories were so similar that you know a lot of what they had experienced a lot of what they were telling me made a lot of sense for myself you know and it was able things that i was able to take to heart you know and really understand and mm-hmm. help inform my experience as well so you know they've been everybody's just a resource um you know going forward yeah i mean i remember when i was getting started and all uh in the adult side of things right because i i did go to a lot of i went to holt heritage camp when i was a kid and mm. did that you know and that's only a week you know every year on an annual basis for so many years until you're like 15 or whatever. And then it's like, that's kind of it. So hmm, yeah. you know, now there's like all, you know, like I have a mentorship program with AKA and there are mentorship programs elsewhere and stuff like that, which are awesome. And it provides that kind of through the years. But as an adult, like you get to start talking a little bit more about those shared experiences. And hmm. I was like being in college, I started doing more panels and stuff like that. And I found that one of the reasons why I kept doing those panels or going to talk to prospective adoptive parents or talking with other adoptees is that, yeah, you do learn a lot more about yourself mm-hmm. when you get to share those experiences and hearing other people share their experiences. And then you can be like, oh, wait, no, yeah, that, that happened to me too. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, that was basically, other than your siblings, kind of your first exposure to other adoptees and being able to talk about that kind of stuff. I think so. Yeah. Like my siblings, you know, I mean, you know, it just wasn't sort of like in my sort of family dynamics where we talked about, you know, things like that or whatever, you know, you, you know, especially when you have two of my other siblings who don't really feel the same way as I do. It was like, you know, you just didn't have that sort of same safe space or same sort of, you know, architecture to really talk about how I not truly felt, but, you know, more genuinely about, you know, how I approached the situation and what was within it so it was nice to have that sort of validated and reciprocated yeah no kidding i mean like that yeah that's always great and i think it's important that these groups exist so that 
adoptees can have that safe space to share those things. I mean, you know, there are Facebook groups all over the place these days, Mm. but you know, it's awesome. It's even better. I think when you can go in person and like share a meal and be able to talk in uh, yeah, safe environment with other adoptees. It's just like our space, you know, like when you think about it, like we're just very, very, our experience is very, very unique. Or whatever, and it's something that's you know um, not easily replicable. Like some, you know, it's very difficult for somebody from the outside to come in and you know understand what we go through and what we have, gone. and just having that you know sort of ownership over it and that sort of you know um, sort of you know defined sort of you know barriers between like you know how to develop the safe space. I feel is really really important and able to really help other people. You know, like it's sort of I wouldn't say it's a self help group or anything like that in sort of like the, you know, clinical sort of sense of things. But uh, just sometimes being able to talk, you know, is just incredibly sort of, you know, helpful for uh, people in a myriad, myriad of different ways. Sure. It's just a, it's a good community to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you kind of don't want to talk about the adoption stuff, <laughs> I think it's just cool to be able to hang out with people who have had shared experiences with you, mm-hmm. uh, even in your isolation like if you grew up in a very small town that wasn't very diverse and you were kind yeah. of the only person of color even on that kind of level to be able to talk with somebody else and just socialize without having to bring up all this stuff it's just very nice <laughs> it's very very non-judgmental that's what i like about it and open and accommodating exactly and then how is uh what are the highlights down there at aldc that you've uh, experienced so far um probably the highlight thus far um is Literally earlier this week, you know, Thursday, I found out that Holt had finally, well, not finally, but had found my birth uh, family or whatever. So this is like incredibly new news for me yeah. in a sense. Like, you know, <laughs> I still haven't had the chance to really process all of it. And, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I'm going to Ica in, you know, a week, literally a week. Yes, so, yeah. you know, I'm going to be meeting them in a week or so as well. So, you know, the reason I kind of did the birth family search was just, you know, sort of curiosity and to really, you know, challenge myself. It's like, you know, how is this going to develop me? And, you know, I want to be strengthened through this process. You know, like I want this, you know, process to make me a better person Mm. at the end of the day. So that's why I did it. Like implicit in that, I knew it was going to be difficult. You know, like I knew it was going to challenge people around me, you know, make them uncomfortable, even possibly like hurt people who are really, really important to me. But I felt like, you know, um, doing throughout all this experience, it would be worthwhile, you know, like the net result would be beneficial to me. And so, um, you know, I feel like as I'm going through it, it's going to be, I need to start articulating what this means to me or whatever. Like, you know, now I know that, you know, my family is still together which i didn't think and now i know that my younger brother as well and so these things are completely foreign to me like i just you know i I, you know you speculate and you you know daydream about what may or may not happen but like to have it there in paper and there like this is you know what it is it's much much difficult it's really well not difficult it's you know different and it's not you know i feel like you know when I found out, it was like, you know, I got an email from my social worker or my caseworker. She's like, do you have a time to chat, like, right now? So, you know, <laughs> you know that something's up or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. you step out of the office and you talk and you're like, oh, wow, this is just – it just sort of, you know, 
the way that I reacted was more informational. You know, it was like, so how much can you tell me or whatever? It wasn't like, you know, sure. I burst down into tears or anything like that or, you know, like had an emotional sort of reaction to it. Mm-hmm. It was just like, at this point, it's information to me. And it's like a very, very sort of like sort of, you know, time period in between when I know that they exist now, like it's defined, but I need to meet them and to to change, you know, it's definitely going to change after I meet them. And so, you know, probably the this is like, it's something that can't be undone, you yeah. know, yep. like to change my life forever or whatever and change a lot of people's other's life who I really care about, like my parents and my brothers and sisters. So, you know, like the, you know, the scariest thing was, you know, when I heard the news, like, oh my God, like, Whose life did I ruin? You know, was it my life, my parents' life, or their life, or what? That was a scary sort of thought because you know when you, I called my mom and it's like, I'm like, are you sitting down? Like, I need to tell you some news. Told her and then she like starts crying and weeping or whatever. And I'm like, oh, oh crap, yeah. you know, like oh god. So you know, it was, you know, that was probably the most difficult part. But you know, um, so you know, at the end of this process, you know, I think it's going to be positive i think i'm going to come out of it a stronger and better person and that's why i think it's worthwhile you know like it's going to be challenging but i wouldn't have done it if i didn't think i was up to it yeah well it's good that you had that kind of self-reflection and the insight to say like am i ready for this this isn't just a this isn't the end right it's not like i'm gonna do a birth search oh i found my family great we're we've we've gotten closure on that it's like no this is Mm -hmm. another door that you're opening into yeah. your life and this is not the end and there, there might be people who are vulnerable to this i mean have you talked did, I, did, so when did you start your birth search um formally i started it probably in january or february okay or whatever. So that's a pretty quick turnaround actually. it is well it was because like my birth family's been searching for me so oh, they wow. have all the information yeah, yeah. it's just a matter of connecting the dots or whatever and awesome. apparently my caseworker has had that email since may and she just didn't read it so i'm like oh, oh god <laughs> yeah i'm like uh, yeah, was grinding up some coffee beans then. Um, but, uh, you know, um, I feel like, you know, I'm happy about the search because I'm not doing it to, like, fill a part of my heart or whatever. Yeah. It's like find something that's missing in my life, which I felt would be incredibly emotionally damaging and dangerous to do or whatever because, you know. I mean, that's a possibility. I, yeah, like I'm still prepared to, like, you know, find out something that's really, really unpleasant or whatever, very, very hurtful. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, um, I'm open to that possibility. And it was something that's been very, very sort of cognizant and aware within my mind or whatever, like, you know, within the adoption sort of, you know, the adoption sort of framework or whatever, you know, you have this sort of, you know, closure or whatever. And oftentimes it's not closure. It's, you know, opening and, you know, a lot of different, really, really powerful and hurtful emotions or whatever. And it's like, I was, sort of I felt like I was ready to do that like you know um you know I asked somebody else who had gone through a birth family search um you know what made her decide or whatever and she said like well you know if I found she was like if I found out something that was really really devastating or really really awful could I can you know could I come back to America and continue to live my life the way I do day to day or whatever and you know process it from that and you know when the answer to that kind of became yes for me as well it's like 
there really wasn't an impediment to do it, you know, sure. and it's like sort of developed and like, well, this is going to, mm-hmm. you know, make me stronger at the end of the day. And I think it's going to enrich my life going forward. So that's why I did it. Yeah. I think that's a healthy way of looking at it. I mean, it, one of the things that I, cause I did it back in, I started back in college and then when I went to Korea in 2007, I did a quick file review with Holt. Uh, it didn't really turn up much information, but I think the, hurdle for my beginning to do that, even though it didn't really lead anywhere, was the self-security. Like, do Mm -hmm. I actually feel positive about who I am, and is this going to change me? And if the answer to that is generally no, like, it's regardless of the outcome, like, I'm still secure with being myself, and I have a strong sense of identity and who I am, that's when you can say, like, maybe I can open up this door now. I think if you're (laughs) doing it because you're vulnerable or you think it's going to fill a hole that's missing in your life or it's like, yeah, you think you're going to get some closure on this issue. That's <laughs> not like, I think that has a veil of being like, Oh, this is a good impetus to begin a birth search. But really it's not. That's because you're not going to find the answers in there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Necessarily. Like, or yeah, it could be potentially very damaging. <laughs> I wouldn't say it sets them up for failure, but I would say like, you know, there's definitely a veil of a lot of you know other emotions it's like well what is the reason why you're doing this you know it's like something you know that you're dealing with and you're you know expect you're hoping that you know by finding this and by developing relationships you're going to you know uh feel better about this but that's not by any means guaranteed by any stretch of the imagination so you know i was very very you know careful about that yeah and so you said that uh your mother you sat your mother down on the phone yeah. I mean, did you tell her that you were doing a birth search? Have you told any of your family oh, before yeah, that? I, I told my mom. Yeah. Like, uh, I told my mom maybe two years ago. Yeah. Two years ago that I wanted to do a birth family search. And then she started crying again or whatever. Like, uh, you know, I, I, she's just really, really protective over me or whatever. Just because, of, you know, I moved to the city. I moved away. I've lived abroad or whatever. And it's yeah. like, those are things that are just very, very uncomfortable. You want to go to Iraq and Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She He's very, very uncomfortable with all, well, most of it or whatever. Like, yeah. even when I was, you know, you know, going to the airport for Korea last time, it was like five in the morning, you know, uh-huh. to the flight at the airport. And she, like, turns to me, she's like, Do you really want to go to Korea? And I'm like, We're in the car and it's five in the morning. Yes, I'm going. So. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, when you told her that uh, your birth parents had been found, that they were searching for you, and uh, you're going to meet them. Was she weeping out of joy for you, or was she weeping out of fear, or a mix of emotions, or sad because th- you know? I think it was just you know a mix of emotions. She said she didn't know why she cried or whatever, and I can't really you know understand either. But I think it was a little bit of sadness, you know, like maybe she's lost a bit of me or whatever, yeah. and happiness because she knows like this is important to me, and she's you know happy that that's happening, and you know fear, and just like it's an overwhelming sort of experience. Sure. At the end of the day, you know, you know, for your child to find out this sorts of information. So I think it was all put together. It was just a big sort of news to hit her with in the <laughs> middle of a Thursday. Yeah. 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 And uh, what about your siblings? I mean, two of them sound like they're not really interested in this kind of stuff. Don't want to talk about it. I mean, what what is their perspective? Have you talked to them about this? 
Um, yeah, I spoke with my sister really, really, really briefly. She didn't even remember that I was doing a birth family search. I don't think I ever told her explicitly, but okay. you know what? She was, you know, it's overall positive, you know, like they're happy for me and everything like that. I feel like, um, but I don't think it's going to change the way that, you know, my brother and sister feel about their adoption. So, yeah. but yeah. you know, this might be enough sort of impetus to get my youngest brother to do a birth family search as well. So we'll see about that. Yeah. I mean, is he planning on going uh, to the gathering with you or has he been to Korea or anything? No, no. This is, you know, he's one that actually hasn't traveled a lot. So he, I think he has some more traveling to do before he catches up or whatever. And I think he wants to do it as well. Yeah. So he, has he expressed an interest in any of that? Um, not explicitly. You know, he's just much, much more sort of withdrawn or whatever. So it's harder to, you know, break through to him. But, you know, the sense that, you know, my family collectively gets is like, you know, probably definitely go to Korea and probably, you know, adoption is something that's important to them as well. And what kind of feelings are you uh, feeling right now in anticipation of going back to Korea and meeting your birth family and taking part in the gathering and everything? Um, you know, enthusiasm with a little healthy, healthy dose of, you know, uh, reticence as well. It's like, I realize it's going to be a lot of fun. I realize I'm going to, you know, be with people all the time, but also I'm going to be in a room with 400 other people all talking about our emotions at the same time. So it's like, that's going to be really, really intimidating in some sort of respect. And I know there's going to be some times where I'm just going to have to step out and just like be by myself or whatever. So, um, I'm excited for it. You know, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a really, really fun time. You know, um, I really haven't had a lot of time to consider like, you know, going to the gathering and meeting my birth family, but you know, that's something that's going to be happening. So overall it's going to be just, you know, I feel like I'm going to need a vacation after this vacation. (laughs) That's the end of end of the story yeah yeah well i mean you're gonna have a long plane ride to contemplate Mm. all of these things (laughs) before you get over there yeah (laughs) would you consider yourself an introvert do you think because you need to recharge your batteries after being in a room with 400 people i think so yeah like sometimes i describe myself as an ambivert but Mm -hmm. uh you know um i can be both introverted and extroverted depending on you know what the situation uh, depends or you know cries for well yeah i mean it seems like uh at the very least, you're outgoing in spirit, wanting to go partake in these communities, go help mm-hmm. the local community as well as, I mean, global public health is nothing to sniff at. In terms yeah. of being, if you're an introvert, it's not one of those things like, I want to go help the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's typically not something that you want to hear um, or that you, that you hear, not that you want to hear. Mm. Um, well, I mean, Best of luck to you. I hope that the meeting with your uh, birth family goes really well, that it's a good, open relationship. It sounds like they're eager to meet you if they've been searching for you for that long. And, that was probably the most positive thing to learn about, that they've been searching for me for three years. So Yeah, I mean, that's like that sounds like that's probably one of the... Uh, the the better outcomes one could hope for in terms yeah. of a reunion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I imagine that like if it goes really well, I mean, you want to keep in contact with them and try to learn more about your family and everything mm-hmm, definitely you know like it, it's just something you know i need to learn more about or whatever you know like i've only spoken with a couple people about this and um you know i'm probably going to have some more informed and you know sort of you know uh focused conversations with other people who i know have similar relationships you know with their birth families and see like you know what from their experience can inform my experience and, you know, how I decide to make this decision as well. But, you know, uh, it's something, you know, I'm open to everything or whatever. So we'll see how it goes. Well, yeah, I mean, that sounds like a, you have a very healthy 
point of view and opinion and reason why you're going to do it and uh, just a healthy view on, on life in general. <laughs> Sounds like <Thanks. laughs> it's pretty awesome. I mean, you have like, a, if your hobby is going to help feed the homeless, I mean, that's not, <laughs> not a bad character trait. Now, regardless of how it turns out with your birth family, I think they have a, your adoptive family and your birth family have a lot to be proud of and how you oh. turned out and everything. Oh, thanks. So, uh, where can people find you online? Can people get in touch with you online? Sure. Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, just, you know, search through my, uh, name, you know, Jonathan Lebrec, L-A-B-R-E-C-Q-U-E. And I'm also on Facebook. I think my, let me look, um, my handle on Facebook or whatever the website is Facebook backslash Cantanan 25. So it's K-A-N-T-A-N-A-N 25. All right. Where, where, where did you get that one? Um, so uh, during high school, I was taking pilot's license, uh, lessons or whatever. Like I grew up wanting to be a pilot or whatever. Awesome. So, you know, there was a small sort of, you know, uh, airport close to where I lived. And my uh-huh. parents were like, OK, you can take flying lessons for the summer. That's your birthday present, basically, or whatever. So, you know, um, the present. <laughs> it, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, uh and, you know, the plane that I flew was a Katanen, uh, and the call sign was N250 Bravo Foxtrot or whatever. So I sort of lengthened Cantanen because I thought it was cool, and then I just did N25. So that's where <laughs> that comes from. All right. Well, awesome, man. Hey, look, well, you're welcome to come back on the show after you do your uh, birth family search. I kind of want to hear how it went, and okay, uh, we'll, we'll talk again then. All right. Thanks. Sounds uh, good to you. The invitation. I'll definitely you know, take you up on that offer. All right. I think everybody would love to hear it. <laughs> I appreciate you uh, coming on the show and sharing your story with me, man. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. All right. And that was my interview with John Lebrecht. How was that, huh? He's an awesome guy. Very good heart, I feel like. So you should follow him on uh, Facebook, I guess. Check him out on LinkedIn. Hire him. Move him around if you work in the uh, U.S. aid. And uh, get him to where he needs to be going because he does a lot of good. I get the sense that he's a good, hard worker. That's what I feel like down in D.C., in the D.C. area. Listen, if you want to get in touch with me, be on the show, you want to be a guest on the show, you can always email me at therambleradhd at gmail.com. You can tweet me at therambleradhd. I'm on Twitter. I'm in the Twitter sphere. Find me on Facebook, like me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Rambler ADHD. And you can rate me on iTunes if, the, the, if that's your jam. Is that your jam? The iTunes? Is that where you're listening to this? On Podbean? I'm on Podbean. Uh, and I'm on the Google Play Store and on SoundCloud. The latest two episodes are always up on SoundCloud, unless uh, an episode is particularly long, in which case it will only be one episode on SoundCloud. But you can always uh, rate me on iTunes and Google Play. I encourage you to do that. Leave me a nice review. Uh, you can drop me a line on the email. Leave me a nice email. Oh, I have another uh, a new section of the show, a segment, new segment on the show, I guess. I don't know what it's called. Uh, and it, it, we're going to call it Ask an Adoptee. Ask an Adoptee. <laughs> so you can email me or tweet me or Facebook me a question, and I will do my best to answer it for you from my personal perspective as a Korean adoptee. I don't know much about you know other adoptee situations, uh, from other countries or domestically, but you know I'll, I'll try to get those answers for you if I can and send it out. Uh, finally, uh, I will be making an appearance at a speaking event in the future sometime uh, at All Together Now in New York. I'll be doing a speaking event there. 
And you can check them out at alltogethernowadoption.org. That's A-L-L, together, you know how to spell this, now, N-O-W, adoption.org. And you can follow them on Twitter at A-T-N underscore N-Y. That is A-T-N underscore N-Y. And you can uh, follow them for more information as it comes through. Or you can follow me. I'm going to be retweeting and posting. And I'll create a Facebook event. And, you know, you guys can check it out there as well. Uh, Listen, you guys have an excellent week. Oh, music today provided by the Bell and Needle Drop Records and a collective effort. You can find them on SoundCloud in the show notes. I have their uh, address link there. You can find all their music and you can download it even. You can download it because that's how cool they are. Uh, anyways, that's it. I uh, hope you guys have a great week. I hope you have a great start to the school year, to the new year coming up. Beware. Uh, pumpkin spice lattes are, are coming out soon. I've, uh, I'm here in Minnesota right now, and I, uh, I'm, I went to the Mall of America yesterday, and I've already seen a plethora of Halloween pumpkin-themed things. It's coming. It's it's only not even really late August yet, and already all the Halloween stuff is out. You know, in a month, it's, it's going to be Christmas. It's going to be Christmas in September in a month. That's how these things work these days, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. In any case, you guys have a great week. I will talk to you next week when you can listen in on my conversation with We The Lees. Yes, We The Lees. Get to know them. You know them. You love them. Get to hear some of their story. Okay? I'll talk to you guys next week. Peace out.